You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi, good morning. Welcome to the show. Monday, December the 6th. Cool grey morning here in TW11. And what an extraordinary weekend of sport it was. That Betfair Tingle Creek chase on Saturday, providing one of the most enduring moments, even in Sandown's long, illustrious and storied past as a venue of top-class jumping. And then that was all followed up with brilliant racing at Punchestown and at Huntingdon yesterday with the running of the John Durkin chase, won by Alaho. I'll be talking to Patrick Mullins about his up-and-down weekend very shortly in quite a detailed interview. And First Flow did indeed win the Fitzdares Peterborough chase, and his rider David Bass will be joining me later in the programme as well. But no doubt we must start with the Tingle Creek chase and the victory of Grenatine and Bryony Frost. And the knowledgeable crowd at Sandown Park were significantly empathetic to realise that this resonated not just because it was a great triumph and a great venue for steeplechasing, but also because of Frost's own extraordinary challenging week and the way that she pushed through that for an extraordinary popular success. We'll talk about that in a few moments' time, David Yates from the Daily Mirror. But first of all, what about the the race and the day as a whole? Right, well, let's deal with the race first. Um, In Grenatine, we've got a horse, I think, who, who demonstrates... Paul Nichols' uh, mastery of his art much more than if he even put a double page advert in the in the trade paper. This is a horse. I think that it's fair to say, Nick, when he arrived at Ditchit, he didn't just walk into his suite in Millionaire's Row, uh, that row of boxes at the top that were once occupied by Corto Star, Denman, Masterminded, Big Bucks, uh, etc. It was in. Um, it was last year that, in a, the winter of last year, at Musselburgh in February 2020, that this horse was winning a novice's handicap chase off a mark of 138. And how he's improved since then. Um, he was When he beat Altior in the celebration chase at Sandown last April, I think a few of us were privately or even publicly thinking, well... We don't really know how good Altior is these days. He's a horse who's had a, a a difficult season. And so it was perhaps unwise to to take that race fully at face value. Um, but I think that we've got a horse now who is entitled to dine at the top table. He was beaten two lengths in the champion chase when fourth to put the kettle on last year. Paul Nichols, frank as ever on Saturday, said we didn't really believe in the horse uh, then, but he's convinced that he's improved more than two lengths subsequently. So he has to be a player in the champion chase. That is now reflected in his odds. Um, the trainer and the jockey, Bryony Frost, said the the, the reappearance in uh, the Holden Gold Cup at Exeter was very much a stepping stone to Sandown on Saturday, that, uh, that he was giving away a lot of weight and that in terms of condition, they knew the race uh, would bring him on. And that judgment has proved spot on. Having said that Altior was uh, below his best at Sandown last April, well, I think we ha- we 
we have to say that there were the the two market principles in this race were obviously below par. It was a a very disappointing run from Chacun Portois. His only previous visit to uh, Britain had resulted in that uh, defeat at short odds in the Champion Chase at Cheltenham last March. There was that point watching the race when he he hit the uh, the the first of the railway fences, and I think it, it made a a bit of a stumbled landing. And at that point, I thought that he might be in trouble. He actually coped with the next two railway fences, I thought, pretty well. And those fences, it's a bit like a, a, a hundred... 110 or is it 100 meters hurdler when they clip one and you think right now they're in trouble because it affects their ability to meet the next obstacle he coped with the second and the third railway fences pretty well but uh, it was pretty uh, apparent after the the pond fence that his race was run and so he's a nine-year-old now and it was no surprise to see that that he was pushed out to double figure odds for uh, the champion chase in the case of Nubi Negra he was in the wrong place at the wrong time wasn't he he was on the rail there on the inside when Chacun Poursois uh, backpedaled back on top of him and that didn't help his cause I, I have to say I don't think that was the that was the the reason for his defeat I think that he was in the process of running a bit of a flat race anyway but in terms of uh, the horses. It was a it was a a, a great race to watch. A, a very interesting one. Not the first time that Nichols has has got a horse like this that one would refer to as a a, a blue collar horse rather than one of those real champions. And he's got the best out of him. My only regret is that I I suspect that the way that people pronounce the winner's name probably isn't how it should be pronounced. But I haven't got an alternative. The clear story of this race was the winning rider Bryony Frost and the reception that she received after victory. I mean, even watching on at home, Dave, and really sorry not to be there at Sandown Park on on Saturday, you, you could really tell through the television pictures and watching Alice Plunkett's interview on ITV just what kind of atmosphere it was there. Well, it's, it's funny that you should say that because, I mean, I've spoken to a couple of people on Saturday night and indeed yesterday who were watching the race on television, they weren't part of that uh, sellout crowd at Sandown, and they said exactly the same thing. Uh, a seasoned race goer and racing fan of my acquaintance said, I was moved to tears uh, by the experience of watching that on television. And so, yeah, it really was from a human interest point of view. We, I've gone through the nuts and bolts of, of, the, of the horses, but this is obviously more of a human interest story. And the... The, the esteem and the love with which British racegoers, or in which uh, British racegoers hold Bryony Frost when she came back. Now, we say it was a sellout crowd. I think it was actually 12,000. Sandown will hold more than that. Um, but well, they were, they were putting was, up sold out signs, weren't they, before, before racing? They put out a tweet indeed, saying yes, it, it is sold out, Tingle Creek Day. It, it was sold out. Yeah, I was just, I was just saying that in, in the, just to put a, uh, a context on what the actual numbers were, but indeed it was sold out. But as, as she came back, I mean, you know, raucous, rapturous, those are certainly words that hardly do it justice. As she came back in, as often happens, somebody shouted three cheers for Bryony Frost. She got three and then she got an additional one uh, for good measure. Then uh, a female voice uh, rose above the tumult and that said uh, we support you Bryony you're doing a good job and again that received uh, a round of a, a, applause and 
at the approval of of those present we obviously the the, the background to this for anyone who's been on the moon for the last uh week to, to 10 days is that the 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 british horse racing authority inquiry or hearing into the, the bullying charges against Robbie Dunn began last Tuesday and that Bryony Frost on Wednesday gave a, a, a very tearful testimony in, in what we'll call the witness box. Uh, and she's shown incredible fortitude over the last few days. Uh, Paul Nichols was apt to pay credit uh, to that. And she, the, the, the race goers at Sandown left her in absolutely no doubt uh, as to how highly they they rate her. It was uh, a real privilege to be there in the winner's enclosure at Sandown after the Tingle Creek. Everybody gave uh, vent to their feelings. The, the, the current rumour uh, swirling around racing's uh, dinner tables is that one day in the short to medium term, Bryony Frost might, might turn to Ireland uh, to continue her career. Well, if she was looking for a reason to stay and for the, the British racing public to persuade her that her future lay on these shores, they couldn't have done a better or more convincing job at Sandown Park on Saturday. And of course, talking of Ireland, Brownie Frost was riding yesterday in the John Durkin chase. She was riding one of the many runners in that race, trained by Willie Mullins, Franco de Port. The race went to Patrick Mullins riding Alaho, who'd had an up and down weekend himself. I've been speaking to him at some length and I began uh, by asking for his thoughts on Chacun Poursois's disappointing run on Saturday in the Tingle Creek chase. <laughs> Um, ah, sure. Look, it was a, it was a, an up and down weekend. Um, that's the joys of racing. Saturday was very disappointing. Uh, the only good thing was that it was too bad to be true. Uh, Shacken has come home. He's a little stiff behind, but there doesn't appear to be anything majorly wrong. Um, so whether he just knocked himself early on or something because his jumping wasn't uh, what I was hoping it would be and what it can be. So I think we'll just draw a line through that and. Uh, and hopefully get him back to get him back on track later in the season. Was it one of those where you were quite aware from quite early on it wasn't going to be your day? Well, he, he went down to start beautifully. He winged the first, uh, jumped out like I thought he would. And he was a bit funny at the second, but you often see horses do that at that ditch. Um, he was good at the third, but then once he turned on the back straight, you know, he's been careful at the next three, he hasn't really taken them on. Um, and then he's put down on me at the, at the railways. Um but the, the fence for me that really summed it up was the pond fence where he's met it spot on, but he's he's skewed in midair as if as if he's not uh, really stretching himself. And uh, do you know he, even though he winged it, he lost two lengths. So um, there was something at him anyway. Uh, he's a horse who, who's had three abortive, abortive missions, I suppose you could call them, to, to Britain so far. One when he didn't run, one when he ran just kind of okay in the champion chase, and then the other day. Is that just coincidence, or is there anything in the travelling thing? Look, there's nothing obvious from our end that he, you know, he eats and he drinks, and he he looked well in the ring. Um, I would say, like I said, I, you know, I think it was a physical thing um, on Saturday because of the way he jumped. Um, like I said, that pond fence said enough for me, and then. In Cheltenham, I think we maybe just didn't ride him uh, with enough uh, forcefulness. So, look, it, it, maybe it is the travelling, but uh, from the evidence we see, there's been mitigating factors. Sure. Now, I know you had to go back to sort of dismount away from the, the winner's enclosure, but 
the atmosphere at Sandown on Saturday was pretty electric. I, I'm sad, very sad that I, I wasn't there. Um, I, I'd imagine you were pretty aware of it. It's yeah, yeah. It was. There was a great. I was walking back in behind um, Grenadine, uh, so I, I I got to see some of it. But um, it's a fantastic track. Just the layout of the uh, parade ring and the stands and the walkway. Uh, it's a fabulous place, and it's a place I hope I can get back to and maybe get into that winners' enclosure one day. Absolutely, and then yesterday at Punchestown, you were in the winners' enclosure twice on two very good horses, Alaho and Fernie Hollow, both in the Cheveley Park colours. Um, Alaho had to had to guts it out in the end, having gone gone really well through through the race. What was your overall reaction? Yeah, he won ugly. Um, you know, he's never won first him out before. Um, he jumped a little to his left yesterday, uh, but I think he was just because he was on his own in front all the way. He was just kind of idling a bit, um, and you know I think Astier and Fallon's probably had the better of me to be honest at the third last. Uh, but my fellas grounded out afterwards. He, he had a hard race, but he, you know, he, he pulled up in front as well. Not nothing came by him pulling up, so. Um, it was a good performance, but I think he's capable of better as the season goes on. You are perfectly positioned, obviously, because you're so closely involved with so many of the horses in that race to A, assess the strength, and B, to sort of wonder what Asterion Falange might be capable of achieving if he if he puts all his brain cells in in the right order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, Janet Lill is a horse we've always had a lot of. Um, and he obviously won the Powers Gold Cup last year, and uh, he ran a cracking race. Um and I suppose Mellon makes, you know, Mellon being third puts it, puts a fair line of form. We know he's a horse who's placed in many, many good one races. So that, that's a strong line of form for me. You, you would, uh, you of all people would be a big Mellon advocate, wouldn't you as well? Like there, there are, there's probably not, the, the fan club might not be that big as it is for some horses, but you'd be, you'd be right up there as the chairman, wouldn't you? Yeah, Mellon, Mellon is, uh, he's been around a long time now and he, he keeps uh, getting himself on the podium. So, uh, I know he's a, he's a great character of a horse, but um, going back to Asterian, yeah, he's, look, he, he, he's great one winners in Alps Hurtle, we thought he's going to be very good, and then in the stream novices he jumped way out to the right, and since he's gone chasing, he just hasn't organised his feet um, well enough a few times, so the ability is there, but he's going to have to get his jumping um, together to win, you know, those top class races. Um, and as for as for Alaho, would you be confident he could move forward from this? And and is there an obvious next spot? I mean, the King George was mentioned. Is that going to come too quickly for him? Possibly. Uh, the John Durkin is you know it's quite close to Christmas, particularly for a horse having their season debut. Maybe some horse that are run earlier in the year, they could do it. But um, you know, I'd love to see it move back to the Morgana card. Put the two great ones in the one day. I think that'd be a great day. Um, but. Uh, you know, look, Min used to skip Christmas and go to Dublin Race and on to the Ryanair, so I imagine Alo is going to follow quite a similar path. Uh, that would be the obvious uh, thing to do, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, in Willie Lamb, nothing is uh, concrete. <laughs> even in, you're, I'm, I'm not, you're not even a full-time inhabitant of Willie Land, are you? Oh, I, 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 I look on from the outside and, uh, and, and just, just go with the flow. <laughs> Uh, you you went with the flow on Fernie Hollow yesterday. Um, little bit of a little bit of a mistake at the second. Little tiny error at the fourth, but they're only little tiny things. Uh, otherwise, he was he was really good. I was a, it was a great race to watch. What was it like to ride? He was good. He got a little worked up. Um, you know, he hadn't run a year. He was a bit, a bit on his toes in the parade ring, and he tanked down at the start. Um, and then 
obviously 16 of us, everyone wanted to line up and get over the first, so we were rattled down over the first. Um, and then the next four, he'd been on, on his own in front, and I haven't wanted to go down and and send him and, and light him up and get him keen. Um, so I just let him, you know, pop away. And yeah, he was a bit lackadaisical at a few of the early ones, but over the last four and the last half a mile when we've been racing, he's been electric. Um, and he was brilliant at the second last. And I was always confident I had Rachel covered. Um, uh, and, you know, the way he jumped the last going a fair speed, because we, we didn't go very fast early. We ended up sprinting up the straight. Uh, I, th- I thought it was a good performance from a horse because when he had one maiden hurdle run and one point-of-point run. So, you know, he, he hasn't a lot of jumping experience. Very, very fast horse or horse who will get any sort of a trip in due course? Oh, both. <laughs> <laughs> well, similar, a similar question could be applied, I suppose, to an argument, although obviously speed has been what he's shown so far. I mean, the way he drew away at Cork yesterday was, was quite striking. You must have been watching on with with great interest, but what sort of reaction? That was a very, very good performance. Um, you know, I think American Men is probably one of the horses who come on the most from this weekend. Interesting. Uh, and Notebook, uh, who'd had a run, really tried to maybe take advantage of having had a run, and he broke him completely. So... Uh, that was a fabulous performance. Yeah, it was a, a terrific performance. And um, the other uh, horse who I, obviously I wanted to mention was was Concertista in a, a race that was run in, in very different style, but she had to show some, some serious turn of foot to, to beat Jeremy's Flame and Magic Days in the end. She did. Um, you know, first of all, fence is in a great tree straight away. Not ideal, but just with a lack of options. Uh, from Mayor's Beginner's Chases and the, the like. Um, and Cork is a, Mallow is a, you know, there's three fences in the straight there. It's quite flat. Things happen quickly. Um, she was quite low and uh, aggressive at a few of them, but it didn't stop her and she was getting on top at the end. So that was very strong form. But look, we think she's, you know, you know we think she's a great one mayor. So uh, we weren't surprised she did what she did, yeah. Either riding or watching, what single WP Mullins performance were you happiest with this weekend? Oh, I think Nergamen was the was the takeout from the weekend. Uh, yeah, he was, he was he was a bit special. And would you have swapped anything on on Sunday just for that that win on Shaka on Saturday? It, it struck me that, that the disappointment of Saturday sort of hit you harder than or, or was more impactful than the than the victories in some way. Uh, yeah, well, look, I mean, the Tinga Creek is one of those classic, iconic races, and I don't know how many chances I'll ever get to ride uh, a favourite in it, so that was disappointing, but um, you, you, when you ride those good horses, you're going to have good days and bad days, and Saturday was a bad day, and Sunday was a good day, so uh, can't complain too well, Patrick Mullins there, and you won't get better insight than that on all those races at the weekend. So I feel pretty content to press forward. Dave, the, the case involving Bryony Frost as the uh, alleged victim, uh, the BHA's case against Robbie Dunn, will continue tomorrow on Tuesday. The prosecution case, or the case for the BHA, um, has rested now, and, and we're going to hear what Robbie Dunn's legal team is going to come up with in terms of, of witnesses and character references and, and so forth. We don't know the, the details of that yet. 
having had a weekend to reflect on it, what were your observations of, of last week's proceedings? What did you think was the, the sort of key area of interest as we, as we move into week two? I thought there were there were two. This is the first time really that I've spoken on the NLD uh, since the hearing started. I, I did. I think it was Monday last uh, week. And well, first of all, Bryony Frost's testimony was very powerful. It was very stirring. Uh, it was very sincere. And one thing that I said when we were talking in advance about uh, the hearing, we were talking about what's at stake for the players here. And I, I remember saying that nobody doubts Bryony Frost's uh, sincerity and her belief in bringing this case. And that was all too evident in the, uh, her, her time in the witness stand, which was in person, as you will all know now, at the, the BHA headquarters last Wednesday. That was definitely one of the standouts, and the other, in a much less uh, positive and, if I say, admirable way, uh, was the testimony of, of Chris Watts, the, the BHA investigating officer who resigned uh, from the authority in September. and. I'm afraid that his testimony was was a car crash. I say I'm, I'm afraid. I observed that this was a a car crash. It, it was redolent of some uh, some some copper in the 1970s on the Sweeney or something who had uh, who had done a who presided over an investigation in which there were too many mistakes and then really had had sought either to cover those up or to hope that nobody would notice. And if you think I'm being too strong in saying that, there was the interview at he, as he was cross-examined by uh, Roderick Moore QC, we had the following. The interview with Richard Johnson that was supposed to take place, but never did. It was, it was never, uh, it never saw light of day. Uh, there was the fact that Bryony Frost had spoken to Kate Hansen, the BHA race day assistant, after the incident at Savile. That was the race, of course, in which uh, Killian's well was killed, and that gave uh, that that gave rise to, I, I think, probably the 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 most prominent of the charges against Robbie Dunn. There was the uh, the the occasion of the the statements given by Tom Scudamore and Gavin Sheehan, both of whom said afterwards uh, to Mr. Watt's successors that that the statements that appeared had not represented their views, i.e. that they were selectively edited. Uh, the same charge was put to Chris Watts by Roderick Moore about the apology that it sounds, from, from reports, it sounded like a fleeting apology that Robbie Dunn had made at Bangor a couple of days after the post-race exchange at Stratford that charge, of course, he has conceded um, that there was an apology made. Now, this was this featured in the, the recorded interview between Bryony Frost and Chris Watts, and then it was taken out. It did not feature in her written statement. It was alleged by uh, Roderick Moore that this was at the behest of, of Jimmy Frost, the jockey's father, or Howard Kruger, who heads her management team. And all that Chris Watts could say to this was to reiterate his, uh, his, his belief and his claim that 
what was in that statement represented 100 percent uh briny frost's account of proceedings he said again uh, when questioned by Roderick Moore, that he had taken a victim-focused approach to the case. Roderick Moore replied that surely a, a, a seeking a more balanced picture were the words that he used, would have been uh, the route to take. Now, I think this, personally, I mean, I, I've been thinking about this all weekend, and I, I would have thought that this would have really made the, the ears prick of, of Robbie Dunn's legal team because if the the brief of the investigating officer is to is to take into account all the relevant information to to garner all relevant information interview all relevant parties and then make a view as to come to a view as to whether there is sufficient evidence to charge Robbie Dunn that is not what Chris Watts has done here he's taken a victim focused approach that was also uh, all too clear by the fact that he'd sent an email uh, to Howard Kruger and, and uh, Jimmy Frost that said, these are the names of the people I propose to interview. Are there any more that I should put on it? Or are there some names that I should take off this list, essentially because they're not going to uh, give evidence that will support the BHA's case? I, I think you know, I mean, I studied law very badly and a long time ago between 1987 and 1990. But when I studied administrative law, when people's ability to earn a living is at stake, that would have counted as a as a procedural impropriety. And I'd have thought it would have proved fatal to a lot of cases. And I'd be very surprised if when we get what well, I'd be surprised, A, if Dunn's legal team at the moment aren't knocking on the door of uh, High Hoban and saying there was something said on uh, Friday, on, on Thursday afternoon that we need to talk about. And if they're not doing that or if it's not successful, I imagine that Chris Watts and uh, that really unconvincing and error-strewn testimony, I imagine that that will feature very, very heavily when we get to the closing arguments, if, if they do happen on Thursday. Uh, I think that uh, we will hear a lot more about Chris Watts. Well, one of my most enjoyable interviews last week was uh, Kim Bailey talking about the potential chance of first flow in the Fitzdares Peterborough Chase that was run yesterday at Huntingdon. First flow duly won, I said at the time, odds of 7-1. to one. Look, but he returned 12-1. to one in the hands of David Bass uh, over the two-and-a-half-mile trip. Uh, David's with me now. David, Kim was giving you quite a lot of stick on this podcast last week, uh, and he'll be feeling very smug that the horse did indeed stay the trip as he as he suggested he would. Um, a great day for all. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, yeah, I haven't heard the interview from last week, but um, I'm, I will have to have a listen back to it because I, I hear that he got stuck into me a little bit. But um, I think smug is the right word. Uh, he, yeah, he was convinced he'd stay, and I wasn't. And uh, he was very smug uh, when I came in yesterday. Um, you know, he, I suppose he can he can get it right once in a while, uh, every now and again. Uh, but um, no, I was I was I was wrong. I didn't think he would get two and a half miles, and he and he saw the trip out well. And it was a great day uh, for the yard. He's been he's been a wonderful horse, and um, it was really enjoyable. Now I asked I asked him whether you'd have to adapt 
the natural game on this horse to get to help him get the distance and he said he's incapable of playing anything other than his natural game um what do you say to that uh incapable yeah that's 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 nice isn't it uh i mean we haven't got we haven't got enough time in the day to go through his um incapabilities um (laughs) but uh yeah no i won't i won't get drawn into um uh stoop into his level of abuse but look i the horse is actually fairly versatile with how we can ride him so the plan was never to be um going off in front and uh seeing strides from all over the place you know i I was going to get the trip um but obviously the trainer didn't didn't have have faith in me that that um he should have done but the good thing is that both of you have a lot of faith in this horse and the horse is nothing if not a very generous horse it it really struck me that that he was pricking his ears up the running and he, he seemed to have loads left yeah, I, I, I thought he won really comfortably, and um, yeah, it was it was an impressive performance. I, I was surprised. I was very surprised with the you know the price he was because um, I thought if he if he did stay, then he was you know he was probably the best horse in the race. So um, yeah, he did it really well, and it obviously gives us gives us more options, and uh, yeah, we've we've got more options going forward as, as far as what races we can run in. I mean, I, I looked at that and I almost thought. Would he get even even further? Not because you necessarily want to, but I sort of half thought, well, could he come back next year and run in a King George or something like that, or is that bonkers? Um, I don't think it's bonkers, but I, I I don't see him as a I don't see him as a three miler, not not even not even around Kempton. But um, I, I was obviously I was obviously very wrong about two and a half miles, so. Uh, you know, I rode him two years ago over two miles three at Ascot, and I was convinced he didn't stay. But he's obviously a much better horse now and bigger and stronger. So um, I wouldn't write I wouldn't write anything off. You know, the horse has kept surprising me for the past two years. So you never know. And the Clarence House, which he won last year, Kim was saying that's got to be the obvious the obvious stopping point again. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll have to sort of have a good look at that and, and maybe go and try and try and win it again and then I suppose the Ascot chase is another option you know it's obviously two five on a much different you know track to, to Huntingdon but uh, I think that's a, a definitely another uh, realistic target well thanks to my guests today Dave Yates is still with me and has a selection for you Yes, we're sticking with Paul Nichols and Bryony Frost, Nick, and it's number one switch hitter in the two o'clock race at Ludlow. This horse made a successful debut over fences at Hereford last month, beat two rivals, but by the standards of three runner races, this was quite a competitive one, I would say, up two pounds as a result of that one length win. And I take switch hitter to go in again here. Two o'clock race at Ludlow. Selection is number one switch hitter. Super Dave, thanks so much. We will see you again tomorrow. Um, But that's all for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. (music) 